So now we want to have a wonderful opportunity with the Ellingsons. Let's go ahead and let's welcome David and Ashley up. We know them well. Come on up and share with us how the Lord is planning your guys' steps. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for coming. Uh, again, my name is David, and this is my beautiful wife, Ashley, and Hello. we're blessed that you guys would come here and uh, to hear about Madagascar and the Lord's work there. Um, I'll first, let my wife, Ashley, introduce our girls. Well, if you were there at the beginning, you saw our four daughters came up on stage. Um, the Lord has blessed us greatly, and um, I put a word under each of their names to describe each of them if I were to summarize their personalities. Um, Isabel is our oldest. She's seven, and then Lydia um, is six, and Anna's five, and then we have our three-year-old Clara, and we're just so thankful for them. People ask, how did you get into missions? And it was my first semester of seminary. They had missions month, and they would have speakers come to chapel, and one of them was a missionary from Cambodia, Nathan Wells, and he was speaking about uh, about his work in, in missions, and he was challenging the students, and he said, why is America your default for ministry? Why do you assume that your ministry calling is to go serve in America? Why would you not pursue overseas missions as your uh, first priority until God changes your course? When the needs are so much greater in other countries, why do you automatically plan to stay in America? And uh, this really uh, caused me to start evaluating my own heart and my own pursuits. We were planning to go back to our hometown, is what we were expecting. And uh, this really helped us to start thinking about missions. And so that very first semester, God put it on our hearts to start praying about missions and to learn more about it and to get in touch with missionaries. And uh, that began our pursuit five years ago. Uh, that, that gave us a heart for missions. And also... Uh, I've been able to now to work at Grace Community Church for four and a half years. And so God began to grow our heart for missions as I worked in outreach. Uh, I worked alongside uh, 90 of our missionary families, and I was able to connect with them and hear about them and read every one of their newsletters. Uh, and that has been uh, something that God has used to encourage me about missions. He also gave me the opportunity to participate in the TMS Missionary Fellowship. This was a, a once-a-month uh, thing where uh, missionaries would come in and speak to us about real life on the missionary field, and we could ask them questions. We could uh, see about the joys and the challenges of ministry, and God used that. And then, uh, providentially, my wife uh, began to also have a heart for missions along the way. And uh, as many as of you guys have read missionary biographies, you know how impactful they can be in your heart and your life, and stirred us for a love for missions and, and for the cause of the gospel globally. And uh, ultimately, though, it was Scripture's presentation of the cost of discipleship that helped us. And it was also Scripture's presentation of the joy in suffering for Christ, and suffering alongside Christ in ministry, and wherever that might be, whether it's in America or uh, internationally. But these are the things that God used in our life to uh, strengthen our hearts and our desire for missions. Um, so as David said, um, God's word is really ultimately what helped us move in the direction of missions. Um, when we went on our trip in August, um, one of the things, um, traveling that far and coming back, it was over 11,000 miles, was seeing the reality of how far away we would be from all of our family. And of course, um, that's one of the costs of missions is you don't get to stay near grandparents and siblings and, you know, your loved ones and your families. So, 
um, Matthew 19, 27 through 29 is one of the verses that the Lord has used to help us see the privilege of and the cost of discipleship and being willing to give up those comforts and those earthly joys to be willing to serve in a field overseas. And um, also Colossians one twenty four. Yeah, uh, the truth about that there's a joy in suffering for Christ uh, was something that God used in my heart, especially to, uh, to spur me on towards missions. And as I envisioned what life in Madagascar would look like, it was hard to, to picture our family there. But as I began to see that there's a, a joy in suffering along with Christ and sharing in his afflictions, filling up in, his, in the afflictions uh, for the body of Christ, uh, that began to, to give me a joy uh, for that kind of work. And as David said, some uh, missionary biographies have also been really impactful in just how the Lord has moved people throughout history and seeing their life and their sacrifices they have made to go overseas and to reach people. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from C.T. Studd. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Um, some people have asked us, how did you pick Madagascar? Why did you pick the furthest possible place to go, right? Uh, it really is on the opposite side of the globe. And, uh, and we asked ourselves, what matters the most in determining a, a field to serve in, a country to go to? And for us, it was the kind of ministry that we'd be participating in and the future vision for that ministry. What's the long-term impact that we want to see in that country? And uh, obviously, we, there's a key priority in training indigenous pastors uh, because long after American missionaries are going to be gone, we want the truth to continue to be passed on from generation to generation. And so that is a key priority that we saw. And second, for these pastors, they need to have model churches so they can see this is not an American thing. This is not American teaching, but this is biblical teaching, and it works in Madagascar. So you need strong local churches to, to be model churches. And so we wanted, when we're thinking about where to go, what kind of vision and, and type of ministry are we going to have? That's what was key for us. The second is who you're going to work with. It doesn't matter so much where you go as, as who you're going to be working with and what kind of ministry you're going to be doing. We wanted godly teammates with like-minded doctrine and teammates that we would work well with, our family would be friends with, and uh, we could partner in a strong way. And that leads us to the next slide. Uh, these are our partners. They are from Madagascar, Folly and Lily Ravwangi. Folly is already graduated from TMS last May, and uh, he is already back in Madagascar serving faithfully. And our family will join them uh, in service for ministry. And I met him at a monthly outreach meeting and actually was able to meet up with Lily in counseling, biblical counseling classes um, at the church here. And we became very close friends. People wonder, why not just serve in America? And we know there is a huge need for biblical churches in America, but we noticed that in Madagascar, they don't have access to it, even if they wanted it. If they want to be trained, there's not places for them to get trained. If, if we want to be trained, we can go to a biblical seminary. We can go to godly churches. We may have to travel 45 minutes to get to one, but there are biblical churches around. But in Madagascar, there's very few, if any, uh, of training available, resources available. And so God providentially connected us with the Rabwangis, and and there is a need for this kind of biblical training in Madagascar. 
as William Carey in the 1800s, early 1800s, as he was on a boat, he traveled past the island of Madagascar. And this was his hope. He said, I hope that the multitudes of heathen in the world may hear the glorious words of truth. Africa is but a little way from England. Madagascar, but a little way farther. And a large field opens on every side. And millions of perishing heathens, tormented in this life by idolatry, superstition, and ignorance, and exposed to eternal miseries in the world to come, are pleading. And that was his hope that missionaries would come there. And they came in the early 1800s and the 1830s, and they translated the Bible from the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, That was their first, and they gave them a written language. It was all oral before that. And so his hope began in the 1830s. Just like you guys, we are blessed to be at Grace Community Church. We've been given such a wonderful stewardship of the Word of God, being trained in faithful doctrine. And I'm graduating from TMS uh, this Sunday, and so that has been a grace of God in our lives. And uh, we have this stewardship, and we feel compelled to pass on the things that we've learned to other faithful men and women. So now we're going to give you kind of a little overview of Madagascar. Um, it is. It has a population of 24 million, so there's actually a lot of people there. And there's two official languages, um, French and Malagasy. Both are spoken there. And it's a very young population. 60% are under the age of 25. And there's not a high um, expectancy of life. The 65 years is the expectancy right now. Here's a map to show where where it's located, right off of the east coast of Africa there. And there's a closer picture. <laughs> the island's the size of Texas, so it's a pretty, pretty large island. Yeah, so on the left you can see that, um, well, on the left it just shows where the island is, but then the middle picture shows that if you were to take Madagascar and lay it on the east coast of the United States, how much it would cover. And then the last picture on the far right shows if you were to take California and lay it on top of Madagascar, um, you can see that it's actually only 67%. So it's a pretty big island as well. Madagascar is also one of the poorest countries in the world, um, and that's because 80% are in poverty. So it's very poor. Um, this picture, this is actually in the capital city, and you can see that this neighborhood is built around this garbage dump, and the people actually see that as an opportunity of a place to come and get things from. So 85% are without electricity, and the literacy rate um, is only 65%. 75% are earning less than a dollar per day, and 49% of children have stunted growth, which we actually saw while we were there. We uh, met kids that we thought were 9 or 10 years old that were actually 18 because they were so tiny. So yeah. it's really sad. Now you see in this picture, their main meal is, is rice, especially if you don't, most of them don't have a lot of income. They'll eat rice for three meals a day, and uh, if, if they can do three meals a day. And what they'll usually add in is they'll add some kind of leaves in there for flavoring. Uh, that's kind of the, uh, the physical conditions of Madagascar, but what about the spiritual? They're in poverty physically, but they're also in poverty uh, spiritually. The majority of Malagasy hold to some form of African traditional religion. Um, and they put their own spin on it in Madagascar. What you see in the picture above here are people, every five years, they'll dig up their ancestors' bones, and they don't want them to be uncomfortable on one side, so they'll take their bones out, rewrap them, and they'll put them back on the other side after they're doing a whole festival uh, to, to worship them. 
they believe in a distant God, but they see that if they really want to get breakthroughs, if they really want to be blessed, they, they need a mediator to get, you know, to get access to this faraway God. So they, they go to their ancestors. They worship the spirits. Uh, but we know the scripture teaches there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Generally, uh, in these animistic uh, beliefs, they believe oral tradition rather than revealed scriptural revelation. Uh, they have a belief in a supreme creator and belief in spirits. And as I already mentioned, they have a veneration of the dead. And they use uh, much witchcraft and uh, magic. Besides that, that was the biggest population. About 50% of the island has, has those traditional beliefs. About 10% of the island are Muslim, and that's a growing percentage. Uh, and, and about 38% um, claim the label Christian. But often they blend in Christian teaching with the false gospel of ancestor worship. So they'll just add in, like, if you're a Catholic, okay, great. You can just add in worshiping your ancestors as well and praying to them. And there's only 2% of evangelical Christians on the island of Madagascar. This is the, the, there is a gospel witness there. There's a true church in Madagascar. But they're largely untrained, and they, they ha- have no resources. And many of them are hard to get to. Uh, there is a denomination that is Folly's Home Church, and this is the church that we'd be a part of. It's co- part of the Biblical Baptist denomination of Madagascar. And out of the, this huge island, there's only 110 churches, and 85% of those are in rural countryside locations. When we were there in August, we had to hike seven miles to this church on the top right of your screen. You see that building uh, we had to hike seven miles just to get to that church and to do ministry with them. And we were able to do uh, evangelistic outreach with this church in Sakalava. Um, there's also parts of Madagascar that people have never heard of Jesus Christ because they're so isolated. The road network is, you can't really call it a road network. It's not very, very good roads there. The top three pictures are our hike to uh, this countryside village of Sakalava. And the bottom left picture is a recent picture that Folly sent. He went to a village, uh, a remote village, and some of the people there had never heard of Christ as well. And so you, this is a normal thing that people have not even heard of Christ because they're so hard to get to, so hard to access. People ask, what is your ministry going to look like in Madagascar? And there's really two primary areas that we're going to focus on. As I already said, the first is training men for ministry. This is what we want to train up pastors uh, and the second is strengthening the local church. Uh, the first one, training men for ministry, we're going to accomplish this through regional workshops. Uh, we're going to do conferences throughout the country. And ultimately, our goal is to open a biblical seminary that focuses on expository preaching. Instead of just doing topical sermons that they come up with on the fly, they, we need want to teach them uh, expositional teaching through Scripture. These pictures are from a conference that we had done in August, a three-day conference. And the second key area is strengthening the local church. As I mentioned, we want to have strong local churches. And uh, it's important for us to, to have relationships of, of discipleship with the Malagasy and to grow uh, and strengthen in, uh, these churches so there would be a maturity there. Um, so as well as the training of the men, we also want to help with... Um Biblical counseling. I'm currently working on my certification in biblical counseling right now through ACBC. And um, so we just want to come alongside the churches and strengthen from relationships and just discipleship and counseling and hospitality in our home as well and just try to help strengthen um, the women and families as well.
that are there. Okay, so this now we're going to kind of give you an overview of our trip that we took in August. Uh, we got to spend three weeks there, and our trip included a lot of R&R, but I don't mean rest and relaxation. I mean rickshaws and rice. So... <laughs> So this is um, Antananarivo, the capital city of Madagascar, with 4 million people. This is most likely where we would be living. And so we're just going to kind of show you quickly what the city looks like. This is, again, the capital city. And then um, we have a video that David put together. Yeah, I have a couple of videos that we're going to show you. These are like movie trailers or uh, kind of intense <laughs> intense music, so just... <laughs> Enjoy, but it'll give you a, a little bit of a glimpse of uh, what life is like in, in the different places we had visited. So the first is uh, the capital city of Antananarivo. David didn't have fun making that at all. So, um, so um, you saw a lot of these through the video, but um, just kind of a picture of what life is like there. They carry things on their heads. They carry things on the back of trailers. Um, their laundry. A lot of people there don't have running water in their homes. So we saw these laundry mats where people would come and get buckets of water and do their laundry. Um, we also saw a lot of people doing laundry in the rivers, and literally their clothes were draped all over the bushes and trees to dry, and people were just bringing them down to the river. And street vendors everywhere, most people buy their clothes and food right off the street, so there was um, everything from shoes, as you can see, to fruits and vegetables. And Folly reassured us that there was a real grocery store, so he took us to the French grocery store, real grocery store, what we'd consider... Um, it's all in French, but um, it was a little bit more of a traditional store, and we also got to go to the little mall that was there, so that that was a little reassuring. Um, <laughs> we also got to visit the, this is the church there in the capital city that we would be serving and ministering in. Um, the picture on the left is from the inside where we were sitting. Um, we got to go one Sunday morning and be a part of the service there, and then the other picture is us in front of the church building there. And like I said, this is Folly's home church that we'll, we'll be partnering with. And the, the senior pastor of this church was able to come uh, for Shepherd's Conference. So that was a joy, and we could host him and Folly at Shepherd's Conference. This land is uh, Folly and Lily's inheritance land, and we are hoping to put the future seminary on this land. And this land is only 15 miles outside of the capital city. So it's right in the in the heart of the population. And a little ways away, there's this beautiful land where we can uh, build a seminary one day if the Lord wills. 
the next video you're going to see is our trip to this remote countryside village of Sakalava that you already saw some pictures from. And this one's even more intense. This is the pastor and his wife of this little remote village um, in Sakalava, and we just—it was such a joy to meet them and get to spend. We spent one night there. Um, they had a little attic up above the church that we all got to sleep in, so we got to spend about 24 hours at this village. And um, when well, we were getting ready to leave, I'll just mention too. While we spent the night there, uh, since we had to hike, we we didn't have any beds or any, anything to sleep on. So the people in the village. They said, we don't want, after hiking, we don't want you to have to sleep on, on the hard wood. So they gave us their own mattresses, just like a fitted sheet with, with hay in it. It was, it was their mattress, and they said, we want you to have that. So they took it out of their own home and brought it up, up for us to use. Uh, truly humbling to experience to see that. And then this is a little video clip of the, some of the women at the church have a little goodbye song that they sang for us when we were getting ready to leave. So Voluma means goodbye. I know I cried. Um, so <laughs> then to get down, um, it was it was too late for us to do the hike down. Um, so they said, "Oh, we're going to get a ride for you guys to go down." So this was interesting. It was like a tractor type thing with a trailer connected to it. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, I wouldn't call it a taxi. So, but we called it a Malagasy Uber, and we piled in and all of our stuff and everybody on it and. Folly took some video while we were going down. Kind of funny. Alright. What are we doing guys? An hour and a half. It's only an hour and a half. It's not that long. It was very precarious being up on the edge. You could really easily fall off. So I got, Lily and I kind of piled down in the middle so we wouldn't fall (laughs) off the edge. And Folly was laughing. I don't know if you care him. He laughed the entire way down. So I thought it was great. Um, But we made it safely. Um, 
And then we also got to do uh, a day that was kind of a fun tourism thing. We got to go visit um, a national park where they have a lot of the wildlife that's there, which is really incredible wildlife. And so we got to go to Lemur Island and see the famous lemurs that are there. And so that was a really fun day. And we have another little video that you guys will really enjoy seeing the lemurs. So that was a truly fun experience, uh, as you can see, and uh, my wife was the cutest part of that. <laughs> uh, we also, the highlight of the trip, uh, we, we did a, a hosted a three-day pastor's conference, and we had over 90 attendees, and this was in a, one of the remote village areas, but we had, where there was 15 churches could come together, uh, and so that was truly a blessing to be able to, to do that. And uh, there's a little video on this as well, but we taught through the book of Titus expositionally. We wanted to model expositional preaching for them, and so you'll see that here. Men and women would come and we would start in the eight o'clock in the morning and we'd go till it was dark at night. And they would sit on hard wooden benches and when it was dark we would be doing Q and A's with the flashlight on our phones because there was no power. And they would say, Can you preach more? Can you give us more sermons? And we'll say, We'll be back tomorrow, you know. So but that was uh encouraging and, and that was kind of our takeaway from the whole trip to Madagascar, this whole ministry trip was we observed this immense hunger that the people had. Some of these people would even be willing to walk 25 miles. We, When we were at the village in Sakalava, we had talked to them, and some of them said, you're going to be doing a conference, and it's only 25 miles away, and, and they would be willing to walk and so they could attend that conference. Um, and and some of the pastors from other areas, they traveled over two days to be there, uh, and the roads there are horrendous. And so for them to, to spend two days of travel just to come uh, spoke of their hunger for the word of God.
And as, as I already said, this trip confirmed both the need for biblical training and their strong desire for it. Next, I want Ashley to, or actually I'll talk about it, the, our timeline to move it, move it to Madagascar. Uh, right now we're in the month of May, obviously, and I am graduating uh, this Sunday from the Master's Seminary, and I praise God for that. Um, <laughs> thank you. Ashley should get the degree. As you look in the middle there, you'll see that uh, we're going to Albertville, France to learn French. As, as we Ashley already said, we need to learn both French and Malagasy. And learning the language is key uh, for that foundation so we can do effective ministry for the longevity of, of our ministry there. Uh, we need to have that solid foundation. And so we are going to go first to Albertville, France and be trained in the French language and be immersed in it. And then after one year of uh, language training in uh, language school in France, we'll go to Madagascar after that. So to, to be able to leave by January to get there is when the classes start. We need to have the bulk of our support raised by this August. Because before that, we have to apply for our visas and we have to uh, also register for the language school uh, three or four months in advance. So that kind of set, if you set that back, that means we need to have the bulk of our support raised by August so we can ensure that we'll be out the door uh, with our funds raised by the end of the year. So that's a, a key prayer request if you guys could pray for that. If the Lord's timing is different, that's okay with us. But we uh, we desire to be there by January so we can get to Madagascar as soon as possible. So be praying for that. Second, after that one year of training, you'll see in December 2019, we would come back after French language school, and then we would say goodbye to our friends and family here in the U.S. and pack up all of our stuff to head to Madagascar. And so we would probably leave early spring of 2020. So this is uh, the next few years of what our timeline looks like, and and this is what you can be praying for. Uh, we're currently, as of uh, the very beginning of, of May here, we're at 23% of our monthly budget and uh, 18% of our outgoing costs. Why don't you talk about um, what the language school will briefly look like? So this is the uh, school in France that we're looking to go to, and who are the some of the other missionaries um, that you guys are familiar with have attended there as well. It's Chris, it's a Christian language school, and we'd be fully immersed living in France. Um, and the classes are four days a week, all day, plus homework and tests. So it's a very uh, intense language school. Um, our plan would be for our daughters to also attend school down the street at the local French elementary school because we want them to learn French as well and be fully immersed. So our goal for that year would be to get our family as fluent as possible in French and um, able to communicate in it as much as possible before we'd head to Madagascar. Uh, this last picture is uh, just a snapshot of what the classroom would look like at that language school. But as I've already said, we need your prayers and uh, and even your financial support if, if God's put you in that place where you can do that. You know, there's a famous William Carey quote when he was uh, headed out to India, and he talked to the Missionary Society, and he said, I will go down to the, the mine, the pit, as it were, but I'm going to need you guys to hold the rope. As I'll go down, but I need you to hold the rope as long as I'm there. And so uh, that's why we would ask that, that you would pray that God would raise up a, a team of people to to pray with us and to partner with us and uh, to encourage us in this path as we do that. So uh, we'll open it up for, for questions now. But I also put our, our prayer cards on each of your tables. You'll see our cute little girls, or at least take it for them, if not for uh, 
to pray for us. But uh, we have prayer cards in each of the tables, and there's also little business cards if that's easier for you to carry around or you can show it to other people. Um, and we have our website here at, at the church, gracechurch.org slash Ellingson. And if you'd like to sign up for our future newsletters, uh, you can do that at ministry to Madagascar.com or you can do so at this link on the screen here. Um, papers on the table. And there's a sign up paper on your table too if you just rather write it down and we'll add it, add you to the, to the newsletter so you don't have to worry about it. Just put your information on the paper. So, uh, we'll open up to questions now. If you have any questions about Madagascar or any of the things you saw or what future ministry will look like there. Yes. The question is, you know, for any of the villages that we need to uh, get to that are remote, are there horses that we could use to get there? And I don't know. I didn't really see them. They did have uh, cows there. The cows are called zebu. They have a humpback. So they're not a normal cow, but they have a huge hump on their back. Uh, so they're unique. But the, the meat tastes delicious. So if you ever want a really good steak, get a zebu cow steak. But, yeah, we didn't see horses. But they had... Uh, they had cows that people would use, but uh, some people would use a, a dirt bike or something, you know, if you can afford a dirt bike. So, but yes. Uh, no, is the simple. So her question was, are French and Malagasy similar languages or do they have the same background? Uh, no, Malagasy is the native language um, that's been spoken there. Um, and it's it's more of a primitive tribal type of language, African language. Um, and the French is there because the French colonized. And so the languages are completely different. Good question. The question do most of the pastors speak French or Malagasy? Uh, I would say answer like this. Everybody on the island will speak Malagasy. And there's even different dialects, but everybody can understand the, the main Malagasy language. The business language and education language and government documents are all in French. So uh, because, and there's no resources hardly at all in Malagasy. So to train, to do theological training, uh, we're going to need to use French materials. And for us as foreigners, we need to know French to be able to do our visas and to to uh, correspond with the government. And uh, so in the cities, you'll have both. People will speak both languages. In the countryside areas, they only speak Malagasy. So... Our plan to help our transition is to, to learn French first, then we can we can get by with at least one language. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, do they live in family units in, in their houses? Uh, some would, 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 it depends on which part of the country, and I think the more uh, remote uh, areas uh, in the villages, they'll, they'll live together as a family unit. Um, and it just, in the cities, though, it's, you know, a little bit different lifestyle for those in the city. Um, you have both obviously in the city as well where you'll have a whole family living together, extended family. But um, Do they have big families? I think, yeah, I think they do. There's a lot of youth. Uh, I forgot what the po- percentage was, but a large percentage of the population is under 25 years old. I think 60% of the population is under 25 years old. So there's a, a huge youth population. So, Yes. How welcoming is uh, the government or the culture in general to Americans? They were very welcoming, at least in our ministry uh, amongst the Christians. They were very encouraging, and, and they wanted us to come back. They were very friendly. Uh, we love the people there. Um, and so that was an encouraging. The government, I, I think uh, there was other missionaries we know there uh, from other organizations and churches um, so I'm not sure exactly how difficult it is, but I, I, I know there's a number of missionaries there, and I don't think there's extreme hardships. I wouldn't expect visa problems, no. Yeah. Yes. 
Good question. What kind of house and home life would we have there? You want to answer some of that? Well, most likely if we're living in the capital city, we would have a a house like what you would think of here um, and running water and electricity. Um, So there's – if you can afford it and you live in the city, you can have those things. So um, we wouldn't be living in a hut unless we moved out to a remote village. But um, our plan right now would be to live in the capital city, probably in a fairly close proximity to Folly and Lily, especially in the beginning – um, so we would, we would have a house and those things. There's really no middle class. So you're either uh, very poor and in poverty, you earn a dollar a day or, or everything's expensive and you're rich. So, and you can, uh, you can have electricity and running water and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, but we were, uh, impressed that as we went through this, the capital city, we thought it would be more developed than it was. Uh, a lot of it seemed very run down, and uh, there was a lot of poverty even in the capital city. Uh, so that surprised us um, as well. But Yes? <laughs> I've had that question a lot in my mind. Um, but Repeat the question. Oh, sorry. The question is about health care and our kids. Um, yeah, the health care is not the same there as it would be here. Um, there are doctors and hospitals. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get the chance to go actually visit any of them while we were there. Um, so for things that they can take care of there, we would use the local, um, doctors and hospitals. And if it was something more serious, we would have to use AirVac and, um, probably go to South Africa is the closest, um, place we would have to take us or our kids. Uh, and we'll be up afterwards if you'd like to, uh, to come ask us questions. So please uh, get on our newsletter list and uh, be praying for us, if you will. And uh, we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do in Madagascar. It's a, it's a new venture there. But we have great partners, and we're, we trust in a sovereign God. So we're excited. Well, we can go ahead and applaud for them. That was a wonderful presentation. Thank you guys so much. And very good editing and filmography techniques, David. It's very good. Ladies, if you have any little ones down in the nursery, we're going to go ahead and dismiss you because we don't want you to have to be running in late to grab your little ones. But all of you who are willing to stay, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to close our time in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the Ellingsons. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is a wonderful privilege, Father, to get to hear how you are stirring in your children's souls, Lord, to go around the world and to preach your gospel. God, we're so thankful for the hunger that we see in Madagascar. We're so thankful for the many men that you have been preparing already, God, to desire to hear your word and to proclaim it to the lost. We're grateful, Father, for Fally and Lily, for the Ravahangi family. Thank you, Father, for saving Fally and Lily, for giving them a heart for ministry, and for giving them such skills, Lord, and such vision to even be Uh, planning and preparing for training of these men for so long. Father, we're grateful for Valley's dear brother in Christ and friend, the pastor of their church. God, we do continue to pray that you will uphold these men, that you would make them strong leaders in the church, and as well as, Lord, unite them in their love for Christ as they serve and lead the body of Christ there in Madagascar and prepare for the training ministry that they would like to start, God. We thank you so much for the Ellingsons and for raising them up with a heart to serve you, Lord. We thank you for drawing them to Madagascar and to um, serve a people, Lord, who are so steeped in false traditions and false rituals, Lord, and who are lost, Father. 
God, we do pray that you would continue to pave their way to make it smooth so that they can be there on the ground in Madagascar proclaiming your truth, faithfully serving, discipling, encouraging the souls there, Father. And we ask that you would grow your church strong, that you would make them united in Christ so that they can go out and proclaim to the villages, to the rest of the cities, Father, that you are Lord and you are one God. Father, we also pray for the girls, that you would prepare them for their transition, that you would bless them, keep them safe. And Father, we pray that you would also be in their transition to France, that they would learn the language quickly and easily, and that you would use this all for your glory and your kingdom. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, ladies. We will see you next week.